Well, good morning, y'all. Welcome to Orchard Hills. Um, we are excited about uh, these gospel minimum resources that we're going to be sharing over the next few weeks. We introduced those last week, and really they are just uh, a toolbox of sorts um, for you to have to help you um, as you are, are learning to be a disciple who makes other disciples just like Jesus did. So we'll have those videos and the resources and explainers that accompany them on our website. Um, so, so please do check that out. Um, you might notice that I'm a little sunburned on this side. Um, I, the reason I'm sunburned is because I got to experience uh, my very first Virginia Tech football game yesterday. Yeah, yeah, I can tell you're all very excited for me. Um, I'm told I, I got a pretty good taste of what hokey football is like. We uh, had some really good tailgating uh, at the beginning. We, um, you know, got to experience all the crazy and wild fans, um, Got to experience the inner Sandman introduction, the jumping up and down, and uh, Tech was looking great, and then lost it all in the fourth quarter. Um, so, I, I'm told that was pretty par for the course. Uh, so, sorry, sorry to the Hokie fans out there. <laughs> well, hey, <laughs> there you go, go Hoos. Um, <laughs> well, I have got some good news this morning, I've got some bad news. Uh, which would you like to hear first? Bad news, bad news cool. Cool. I thought you might say that, so I'm, I'm ready for it. Um, the bad news is that whether you realize it or not, we are in the midst of a war. We're in the midst of a war. Um, and it's a war that's kind of hard to see. It's kind of sneaky and covert. Um, but it's a war that is very, very deadly, and it affects every one of us. And none of us is exempt from the experiences that this war puts us in. But there's good news. The good news is that there is a victor. Um, there is a, a winner who has already been declared in this conflict, um, and that the commander of the enemy army is already defeated, already as good as dead. And the commander of our army one day will lead a rule of peace and joy and love that no one is left to oppose. What I'm talking about is really the true reality of our lives. What I'm talking about is spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. And so, though you and I live and move in this world that's visible and tangible, the Bible from start to finish reveals that there is, that's not all that's going on. That there's another uh, realm, what we call the heavenly realm, and that's where God is where Satan is, where angels and demons are, and it's not way up there somewhere. It's right here among us. We can't see it, but it's real, and it affects us. And many of us walk around um, ignoring this realm and ignoring this battle uh, that we're in. And so today, we're going to do a little work through this passage in Joshua 11 to expose it um, and to help us see the, the reality of what we're living in. So this is where we're going today. Um, this is what I would love for each of us to, to walk away convinced of, um, that you are in a fight for your life and the lives of those you love, that uh, victory is available, but it's not going to come through the world's way of getting victory. It's not going to come through lies and power and the shine that the world has to offer, but victory will come and does come through submitting yourself to the true king. That's what we're going to talk about today. 
Um, let me pray for us real quick, and then, then we'll dive in. Well, Lord Jesus, we just want to give you this time. Lord, this uh, is ultimately for, for us to sit under your authority and the authority of your word. So if there's anything that I uh, might say that is not of you, I pray that it would fall quickly away. Uh, Lord, be glorified in this time. Uh, tear down strongholds in our lives during this time as we've already sung. Um, and I pray that you'd speak to each of us. Lord, if there's uh, any schemes of the enemy to, to keep people from hearing uh, the truth of your word today, we pray that they would be broken now in Jesus' name. Um, we love you, and we pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so what does all this have to do with Joshua? Well, that's a great question. Um, the, this period that we've been looking at, this period of uh, Israel um, on conquest, taking over the promised land that God had promised them hundreds of years before, um, this is not God's regular pattern for the life of his people. Um, this was actually a very unique time in the life of God's people, a, a unique situation of judgment um, when the people who had been living in the land for 400 years since the time of Abraham, God had been allowing them to live there, had been showing mercy upon mercy as their sins piled higher and higher. And finally, God said, it's enough. It's enough. Um, and so in, in uh, Deuteronomy 9, I think it is, God says that, hey, Israel, you're going to go into this land, um, but it's not because of your goodness. It's not because you're better than these people. Um, and I'm asking you to destroy them as a sign of my holy judgment against their many and long sins. But it's not because you're better than they are. Um, so this was a, a unique point of history. So what I want us to know is that uh, conflict, this kind of military conflict, is not normal for God's people. He's not asking us to go out and take over lands and conquer people. But conflict is normal for God's people. Spiritual conflict. It's what we live in the midst of, and it is what we're talking about today. Um, and again, it's not against people. So Paul makes this very clear in Ephesians 6, 12. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We're not fighting against people, but we are fighting. So we do wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so we are in a fight. We are in a fight. And we're going to look at that today in, some, in Joshua 11 and, and look at their physical fight that they were in and draw out some spiritual connections. So that's what we're doing. Does that sound good? Great. Thank you for that resounding affirmation. Um, what better place to start than with a map? Thank you. Um, so, last week, Scott shared how we were in uh, the southern part of the Promised Land. Um, he shared about five kings of that southern area um, who banded together to fight against God, to oppose his rule and oppose his people, um, and how Israel, though they were probably outnumbered, um, knew that God was going to fight for them and believed it, and so they went into battle trusting, all right, Lord, you, you got to do this, and he did. He stopped the sun. He sent hail that killed more people than the Israelites were able to kill. Oh, it's still on. Sorry. Um, and that was what we were looking at last week. So um, if you read the rest of the chapter, like Scott asked, uh, it details how Israel took that whole region at that time, that whole section of the promised land. Um, they took it all in, in chapter 10. And so now we come to Joshua 11, and we're going to be looking at 
Uh, there's a lot of names, and I'm not going to detail them all, but a lot of these areas are in the north here, and so that's, that's what we're going to be looking at today. Um, so this is Joshua 11. Uh, it's on page 218 of your church Bibles, and you uh, are welcome to turn there as, as we read. Joshua 11. It says, When Jabin, the king of Hazor, heard of this, he sent to Jobab, king of Madon, and to the king of Shimron, and to the king of Aksaph, and to the kings who were in the northern hill country, and in the Arabah, south of Chinneroth, and in the lowland, and in Naphoth-dor on the west, and the Canaanites in the east and the west, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and the Jebusites in the hill country, and the Hivites under Hermon in the land of Mizpah. It's a lot. And they came out with all their troops, a great horde in number like the sand that is on the seashore with very many horses and chariots. And all these kings joined their forces and came and encamped together at the waters of Merom to fight against Israel. Can you feel that? Can you feel the enemy forces swelling and, and gaining number and gathering together? It begins to feel overwhelming. All these people rallying against God and against his people. It reminds me of, uh, I don't know, a lot of those classic war movies or even newer things like Avengers Endgame or The Lord of the Rings and the Battle of Helm's Deep or Pelennor Fields when all these enemy troops are amassing farther than you can see to fight this small group of resistance. Um, and I think the reason that we feel some connection with those movies and feel like, man, I've been there, even though we haven't been there, is that what we are seeing played out is what is really happening in our lives spiritually. That there's an army. There's forces arrayed against us now, against God and his people. Um, as it was true then, so it is true now. And so our first point here of spiritual warfare um, is that there is an enemy. There is an enemy of your soul, church, and you need to know it. Um, you may have heard him called Satan. Uh, this is the name most frequently used in the Bible. It's actually not a name. It's a title, and it means accuser or adversary. And so uh, the Hebrew and Greek put the article in front, and so he's the accuser. He's the adversary. Uh, First Peter says that he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Uh, Jesus also refers to him as the devil, which is not a name either. It's a title, and it means slanderer, slanderer. And Jesus says that he's a liar and that he's a father of lies. And the Bible doesn't say a whole lot about him, but it implies that he was at one time a good angel um, that fell from heaven when he rose up with pride and arrogance and, and wanted to be God. Um, and Revelation tells us that he took uh, with him a third of the angels um, to serve him and to also oppose the rule and reign of God. And this is exactly what Ephesians 6 is referring to, those rulers and authorities and cosmic powers and forces of evil. It's the devil and his angels. And so this is our enemy, church. This is our enemy. Uh, and that's not all. In addition, uh, the, the Bible talks about the way that Satan is the prince or the ruler of this world. Um, so it doesn't mean that in the sense that, that God is the ruler of the cosmos or the earth, but, but that Satan is the ruler of all worldly forces that oppose what is good and right and true. Um, and so he has worldly powers at his, dis at his disposal. And also, 
the, the devil's power lies in that the fact he's good at lying and deceiving and tempting people to sin. And sin is not his responsibility, it's ours. Um, the devil made me do it is not something that's in the Bible. It's not something the Bible gives us room to say. Um, we have responsibility for our own sin. But certainly, the devil tempts and tricks and deceives. Um, and so these are our enemies, the world, our own sinful nature, and the devil. So let's move on, see what else we discover. <clears throat> this is verse 6. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them, that massive horde of enemy army. Do not be afraid of them, for tomorrow at this time I will give over all of them slain to Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. So Joshua and all his warriors came suddenly against them by the waters of Merom and fell upon them. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Israel, who struck them and chased them as far as great Sidon and Misrephoth Maim, this is toward the north, and eastward as far as the valley of Mizpah. And they struck them until they left none remaining. And Joshua did to them just as the Lord said to him. He hamstrung their horses and burned their chariots with fire. Did you see that? Did you see how quickly God just says, you know that big group of people coming against you? Well, tomorrow they're all going to be dead. And they were. And it was so. And so when God says it, it happens. When he declares something is so, then it will be done. And so our second point here of spiritual warfare is that there is an enemy, but God is the victor. God's the one who won then, who is winning now, and who will ultimately win. There is no one or nothing that can oppose the reign of God and succeed. There's no force of man that can stop Almighty God. And the craziest part about Satan's war on God is that he can't win. And I think he knows it. Even though there, there was a day when he thought, uh, maybe he thought he might have won. Um, a day when the forces of the world and the sinful hearts of God's people and the devil and his angels were all bent on destroying Jesus. And he was put to death on a cross and it probably looked like, and I'm sure it felt like, the devil had won. But in fact, he had just played into God's hand. And that was his day of greatest defeat and our day of victory. Uh, Colossians 2.15 says it this way, that on the cross, not only did Christ pay for our sins, but it says that God disarmed the rulers and authorities and he put them to open shame. Those rulers and authorities, that's the forces of evil we've been talking about. He put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That is in Jesus on the cross. That's good news, y'all. That's good news. And so the, the power that the enemy has is to tell lies that lead to sin, that lead to death. But in the cross and the resurrection, all of that was broken and destroyed. And it no longer has power over us. He no longer has power over us like he once did. And the book of Revelation looks forward to the day when the devil and his angels will be thrown into what is called the lake of fire. Never to tempt, trick, deceive, or distract us from the Lord anymore. That's good news. So the, the second thing we see here um, in these verses, our third point, is that there is an enemy, God is the victor, then our responsibility is simply to trust and obey God. 
simply to trust and obey. Man, isn't that a relief? You don't have to beat the devil. You can't. You can't do it on your own. And you don't have to because God has, and he is, and he will. And so all you have to do is trust and obey. It's that simple. Just like Joshua listened to God and did what he said. You're not in charge of the the conquest. You're not in charge of beating Satan, but God is, and we just trust and obey. All right, well, I'm just going to summarize the next few verses. Um, Basically, Joshua and his men, uh, they wipe out the enemy armies. They go back to Hazor, which was a little more south. Uh, That was Jabin's town. It was kind of the head of that northern part of the kingdom. Um, They burn it to the ground. They take every one of the other cities uh, that those kings represented. Um, They don't burn them. They do wipe out everybody as God commanded. Um, And then it's kind of over. Um, We're here in chapter 11 reaching uh, what is mostly the end of the Israelite conquest of the promised land. Um, So there's a lot more that's going to come in Joshua. There's some some possessing of the land that has has to happen, Um, but largely the land lies taken. Um, And so chapters 6 to 11 in this next section, they're summarized, um, and there's kind of an end of the, the conquest summary. So that picks up in verse 16. It says, so Joshua took all that land. This is now talking about both north and south. The hill country and all the Negev and all the land of Goshen and the lowland and the Arabah and the hill country of Israel and its lowland from Mount Halak, which rises towards Seir as far as Belgad in the valley of Lebanon below Mount Hermon. And he captured all their kings and struck them and put them to death. And Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. There was not a city that made peace with the people of Israel except the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon. They took them all in battle. For it was the Lord's doing to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle in order that they should be devoted to destruction and should receive no mercy, but be destroyed, just as the Lord commanded Moses. Now, this is point four here that we're going to draw out of spiritual warfare, and I want us to sit in it for a second. Um, It says that Joshua made war a long time. Historians estimate that this conquest took five to seven years. So even though you can read it in like 30 minutes, we've just spent a few weeks in these chapters, um, it was a long time. And I'm sure there were many, many points when Joshua and the men felt exhausted and worn out and weary and done. And we're kind of the same, you know? Um, So point number four uh, is this. The fight is long, but God is in charge. The fight is long. It's long, isn't it? It's exhausting. It's tiring. And we resist a little sin and we uh, bring some areas of our life into submission or we go through some suffering. We're like, Lord, how long? How long is this going to go on? And he's like, well, it's been an hour. You can do it. (laughs) We're impatient. We're impatient. It's hard for us that this fight is long. Um, But it began in a garden thousands of years ago when God said, I'm going to put enmity between the serpent and between the woman and her children. And the fight has continued to this day. 
it's been going your whole life. Um, and until Jesus returns and declares it finally and fully over, it will go your whole life and for the lives of your children and your grandchildren as well. So we need to get used to it. We need to understand that this fight is long, but that does not mean that there is no end in sight. In verse 20, it says that it was the Lord's doing to harden their hearts, that the enemies would come against Israel in battle and be destroyed. And so God is in charge. Even though this fight is long, God is in charge. He will be victorious. Scott read last week in 1 Corinthians 15 that it says Jesus must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. He's in charge. He's going to take care of it. And praise God for, for the book of Revelation that we know how the story ends, that he gives us a picture of that day when he will conquer evil forever and make a new heaven and new earth where, where only righteousness dwells, where it's all good and right again. So the fight is long, church. We need to know that. We need to get used to living in wartime. It's not how it should be. And we feel that in our bones, that it shouldn't be this way. And so our hope is that it's not forever. The fight is long, but it's not forever. The end is coming in that life to come after the war is over, when we live in that time of peace, I cannot imagine what that will be like. It'll be beautiful. I can't wait to be there with you. Well, we're coming towards the end here. So um, let's look back at the text, Joshua 21 and 22. Uh, now, this is kind of an end note at the end of this conquest summary, but this is a big deal. Um, it says, And Joshua came at that time, and he cut off the Anakim from the hill country, from Hebron, from Debir, from Manab, and from all the hill country of Judah, and from all the hill country of Israel. Joshua devoted them to destruction with their cities. There was none of the Anakim left in the land of the people of Israel. Only in Gaza and in Gath and in Ashdod did some remain. That's the area of the Philistines. So this is a crazy little end note. This is huge. The Anakim uh, were a race of giants. Um, so Gath, where a few remained, Goliath is from Gath. Um, and so he is one of the Anakim. Uh, but they were a race of giants, and they were actually the very reason that Israel was afraid to enter the promised land in the first place. Um, in Numbers 13, it tells us how Joshua, when he was a young man, he and his friend Caleb and ten other spies were sent into the promised land to spy it out by Moses. Um, and they go into the land, they spend 40 days spying it out, they come back to the people, and Joshua and Caleb say, guys, there's, there's a lot going on in there, there's some big people, but our God is bigger. He can do it, he can lead us to victory, let's go, let's take what he's given us. Um, and, but the ten other spies, um, they say, we can't do it, we can't do it. They say this, the people there are strong, and the cities are fortified. And the sons of Anak, the Anakim, are there, and we are all like grasshoppers compared to them. They didn't believe that their God was bigger than the giants that they saw. And so they wandered 40 more years in the wilderness because of their unbelief. And here's the crazy part. Now, these same giants, this reason that they hadn't entered the promised land in the first place, now in two verses it says, hey, by the way, Joshua cut them all off. They're gone, dead, done with. And so this is, is my 
fifth point here today of spiritual warfare. Your greatest enemies are already defeated. Your greatest enemies are already as good as done with. Isn't that good news? The thing that you fear the most, the guilt and the shame that you're carrying with you today, the sin that you can't let go of, the wounds that you can't seem to heal from, the habits that you're struggling with, they are all as good as done. They're defeated. God has given us that promise. Um, And Paul says this in Romans 16, 20. He says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Under your feet. Because God has been victorious, you too will share in that victory. Colossians 2 says that if you're in Christ, then your sin was nailed to the cross when Jesus was. And that it's as good as dead and done with. Uh, Psalm 103 says that that God has removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. They're as good as done. They're as good as done. And so praise God, the things that you are struggling with the most, the thing you feel like you will never overcome, you will. You will because God has said so. He has won the victory. One day, all of those things, sin, the world, are the devil, our, our sinful nature will all be done away with. And so there is hope, church. There's hope. There's hope for you in your suffering and in your sin and in your habits and your hangups today. There's hope. And that's the final point and, and really the sweetest news. Uh, number six, rest is coming. Rest is coming. Verse 23, last, last verse in the chapter. Let's look at it. It says, so Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses, and he gave it for an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal allotments, and the land had rest from war. The land had rest from war. I love it. Do you know what Jesus' name was in Hebrew? Joshua. Joshua. It's the same name. It means God saves. And if you're here today, whether you know Jesus or whether you don't know Jesus, you need to know that Jesus saves, that he saved then and he's saving now and he will save his people forever. All we have to do is submit to his good, good reign and rule. He alone can offer us the rest that our soul longs for. That rest that is coming, we're actually able to taste it here and now. The book of Hebrews details how uh, those who have come to Christ are like those who have entered the promised land. That Joshua is our Jesus who has gone before and, and taken over the enemy territory so that we can live in peace. And so even now, in the midst of the battle, in the midst of a broken world, in the midst of suffering, we can experience rest in our souls. And one day, rest over everything, a new heavens, new earth, new creation. Rest is coming. You can experience it now in Jesus. And it's just coming more and more in the kingdom that is to come. So let's, uh, let's wrap this puppy up. Scott always gets mad at me for going long. Um, so what does this all mean? What's some, what can you walk away today with and do differently? Two, two practical points for you today. One, be aware. Be aware. 
Um, one of Satan's primary tactics is to convince us that he does not exist and that other people are the enemy. I've fallen prey to this many, many times, and I'm sure that you have as well, but we've got to be aware because, like Paul said, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We're not fighting people. We're fighting these spiritual forces that are behind people and influencing people. We're fighting the spiritual force of sin in our own hearts. And so you're not fighting people. You're not fighting your spouse. Your spouse is not the enemy. There is an enemy of your soul, but it's not your spouse. Your sin is your enemy. Satan and his angels are the enemy. But your spouse is not your enemy. When you're annoyed and frustrated with your kids, they're not the enemy. They're not the enemy. There is an enemy of your soul, but it's not them. When you're angry with your coworkers or frustrated with your boss or something that he's asked you to do, um, I've never felt that way in my life, but I'm sure many of you have felt that way. <laughs> um, your coworkers and your boss are not the enemy. There is an enemy of your soul, but it's not them. When you're scrolling on Facebook or your news feed, the stuff that you see happening in our country, the brokenness of, of people, those people out there who are ruining our country, they're not the enemy. There is one, but it's not them. Republicans, Democrats, each other's not the enemy. The other side of the aisle is not the enemy. There is an enemy of our souls who I believe is inflaming this brokenness and division that we're experiencing in our country today. And we've all got sin in our hearts that is certainly the enemy. But the people on the other side of the aisle are not our enemy. We aren't wrestling against flesh and blood but against the forces of evil. So be aware. Be aware who your enemy is. And then finally, second thing, um, is to pray. To pray. It's a simple, ordinary thing that we kind of come back to all the time, but it is actually how we participate in the fight. It's how we wage war against the enemy. Ephesians 6, where it talks about the armor of God and the, the sword of the Spirit that is the Word of God, it's all framed in prayer. Prayer is how we can join in the fight. And so pray with those people that you think might be your enemy. Pray with your spouse. If you guys are fighting and arguing, stop fighting against each other. Realize who the enemy is and stand with each other in the fight. Stand with each other in the fight. That's making war in the heavenly realms. With a man and a woman who are joined together in prayer against the enemy, against the sin in their hearts, that's powerful. That's doing some battle. Pray with your family. Pray with your children. Don't argue and fight amongst yourselves, but, but turn the struggle outward. Say, hey, what are we dealing with in our family? What are we wrestling with? What are we not able to see through or see how it's supposed to work? Let's fight together. Let's fight on our knees. Let's pray together. Pray with your friends. Pray with your coworkers. It is how we do battle. And in this war that is way beyond our pay grade, um, we pretty much have two weapons, and they're very, very ordinary. It's prayer and the Word. The Bible says the Word is the sword of the Spirit. Uh, it's, our, it's our offensive weapon, and we wield it through prayer, through speaking it out. Pretty insignificant in the world's eyes. Foolish, even. But it's how we fight. 
That's how we fight. So let's use it. Also, if uh, here at this church, we have ways for you to, to join in the fight and uh, for us to join you. And we have even some training in how to fight. So um, we've got prayer ministers that will be up at the end of this service and every service we had have uh, who are ready to, to fight for you, to pray with you. Um, every one of our staff has done training in prayer and in healing prayer. And we would love to pray with you against things that you're struggling with in your life. Um, also, if you want, want to get some training and learn how to fight better, we have a healing prayer class that's starting up uh, November 8th. Sue Vincent's in charge of that. Um, you can email her at sue.vincent at gmail.com. Um, but we could, we could really call that class our uh, spiritual warfare class because it's about the enemy and prayer and how to fight him and how to submit ourselves to the Lord. So, so don't miss out on that. That's November 8th. But church, let's, let's not live unaware anymore. There is an enemy. But there's victory available. And it's found in submitting ourselves to the true king and using the, the, the simple resources that he's given us. Let's use them. Let's fight together. Not against each other, but for each other. Y'all, there are strongholds in this church that need to be torn down. There's strongholds in each of our lives, places that the Bible says the enemy has a foothold. He has a place where he can stand in your heart or in your life. There's sins that are like strongholds in, in the promised land that we're, we need help getting out. You can't do it alone. You need to know that God has already pronounced victory over those things in your life, and you need to fight against them with the help of your friends. So let's do it. Let's fight together. Let's pray. Well, Lord Jesus, we come as your people, uh, just bowing our hearts uh, to submit to your reign and your rule. And Lord Jesus, I ask now that you would begin to break uh, the, the things that are in our minds right now as we think about strongholds in our life. I pray that you would uh, just let us see breakthrough today um, in every heart that's wrestling with something, every, every person that's dealing with a sin or an anger or hatred um, we just pray that you'd break them. Uh, we pray that you would teach us to fight with each other. Um, Lord, help us to be aware. Help us to see the reality of the war that we're living in. Lord, I really believe that uh, this is a reason that so many people are bored with Christianity. Because they want to fight. They want to fight for something. Uh, but they're missing the true nature of the battle. And so, Lord, would you open our eyes like you opened the, the eyes of Elijah's servant um, to see the reality of the spiritual war that's going on amongst us. Lord, thank you for hope. Thank you for the rest that you offer our souls. Thank you um, that one day we will uh, be sitting around a table feasting together, telling stories of all that you did, all the victories you accomplished as we rejoice in all things made new. Lord, we, uh, yeah, we're going to celebrate that now with communion. And so we rejoice in you, Jesus. You have won it all. You are the victor. And we give all praise and glory to you. Thanks, Lord, for welcoming us into your victory. We love you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.